0: My name is Garrett Davidson, if I haven't met you. Uh, I'm one of the interns this year, um, so I'll uh, pray for us, and then, and then we'll go ahead and dive in. Let's, let's bow our heads. Lord, we, we come to you this morning and uh, thank you uh, for who you are, God. As we've uh, reviewed uh, and, and learned about your uh, attributes these last 10 weeks, God, about your, your names and who you are. Uh, God, we, um, yeah, pray that we'd go into our conversation today with that foundation, God, that we'd understand who you are rightly uh, as we begin to talk about the things that, that you do. Um, so God, would you um, be with us this morning? Lord, be with me, use me, despite me. Um, God, I pray that we'd all be encouraged, that we'd all learn more about you, and that we would all come to love you more through our time together this morning. Uh, we pray all of this uh, in the name of your son, Jesus. Okay, uh, so yeah, if you've been here, uh, we've been talking about the, the doctrine of God and foundation. So we've uh, talked about the Trinity and how the, the persons of the Trinity work together. Uh, we've talked about the names of God, uh, what he calls himself. We've talked about his attributes, both the ones that we're meant to um, imitate and, and the ones that are unique to God. Um, and so we've been learning a lot about God, and today we kind of start a transition into talking... About um, so we've been talking about who God is. Uh, we start talking about the things that God does or has done, um, and so as we do that, I just thought it would be good to uh, remind all of us, including myself, of the purpose of this class. So we come here to to learn about God. Certainly. Uh, but we do that with an aim to, to love him more. So we're, we're not just here to fill our heads with things that don't affect our hearts, right? So as we go in to talk about our, our topic today, um, yeah, ask me, ask me questions about how to apply these things to our lives Let's, um, and, and how we can love him more through these things. So um, yeah, our topic today, uh, as you can see on your handout, is the eternal decrees of God. Uh, So that's kind of a loaded term, I thought we could define it together, might be a good way to start. Uh, So there's two kind of major words there that I think would be helpful for us to define. One is is eternal. So um, could somebody help me define eternal, what's some some synonyms or a definition maybe for, for how we might think about the word eternal?
1: Forever.
0: Forever, yeah, that's good. What else? That's right. Yeah, that's really good. So, particularly when we talk about God, um, in His eternality, we're talking about something without beginning and without end. Um, so then we can say these are these are decrees, things that God has decreed that are without beginning and without end. Um, so, how how might how might we define a decree? Uh, what is a decree? That's right. Yeah, it's in a statement. It's something you establish or, or determine, an order maybe. Um, and so as we think about the eternal decrees of God, these are, these are orders or, or things that God has determined from eternity past that establish what he's going to do through eternity future. Um, and so the, the last, um, well, let's. Our, so our main idea uh, is that God from all eternity did ordain whatever comes to pass. So God from all eternity did ordain whatever comes to pass. So uh, we'll take a look at a couple scriptures just high level here um, to, to get a feel for, for what that means exactly. So can somebody grab uh, Acts 2, 22 to 23? Who's got that? Joey? Uh, somebody get Acts 4, 27 to 28? Thank you. Uh, and then somebody get Luke 22,22, 22. Thanks, Bill. And then I'll read uh, Isaiah 46:10 for us. Um, go ahead with Acts 2. Yeah, so notice the language here. Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Uh, go ahead with Acts 4. Truly in the city, were
2: servant Israel
0: That's right. So they did whatever whatever his hand and his plan had predestined to take place. Luke 22. The Son of Man goes it, as it
3: has been determined, but woe to that man by whom
0: he is betrayed. Yeah, so this one is particularly helpful in the sense that we see similar language about uh, what happening what's happening to Jesus, the Son of Man, uh, being determined. We also see that there's some responsibility for man there, right? Woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Uh, and then uh, Lastly, I'll read, uh, this is at the top of your handout as well, Isaiah 46.10, it says, Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. So, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll come back to a lot of that. That's, that's just a high-level um, peek at, at what the scripture has to say about, about God's uh, definite plan and foreknowledge. Uh, but I think before we dive in, uh, it's really it'll be really helpful for us to review um, God's attributes. So we, we, if you've been here, we've talked about them a little bit, but we covered 20 plus in two weeks over the course of two hours. So I, I want to boil it down to about six of them very quickly um, that I think will be helpful for us to remind ourselves of as we begin to talk about the things that God does. So we're going to quickly remind ourselves of, of who God is before we talk about the things that he does. So uh, we won't read these scriptures. They're, they're printed there uh, for your reference later. Uh, I'll just, I'll talk about these attributes here quickly. So one thing we should be reminded of before we begin our discussion is that God is sovereign. He has the authority to do whatever he pleases. He's omnipotent. So he's all powerful. He's infinite. There is nothing beyond him in any way. He's omniscient. He knows all things. His understanding is infinite. All his works are known from eternity past to eternity future. God is immutable. This means he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has no variation or shadow due to change. He's not a man uh, that he should change his mind. And lastly, God is good. So we can root this in creation. We see that God declares everything that he creates to be very good, but we also see it throughout scripture. So 1 John tells us that he is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Um, James also tells us he can't be tempted by evil. So God is completely good, and everything he does is consistent with goodness. So simply put, to summarize all of that, uh, God is good. He is surprised by nothing, and there is nothing that happens in life that is beyond his authority, his power, or his reach. So that brings us back to our main idea, which is God from all eternity did ordain whatever comes to pass. And so you might ask, how do, how do the decrees, these things that God uh, has established, how, how are his attributes important to us? Why do we need to think about those? So if we think about how these things intersect, we see that God is sovereign, meaning he has the authority to do whatever he pleases. He's also omnipotent, which means he can and will do whatever he pleases to do whatever he has decreed to do. And we also see that God's infinite, omniscient, and immutable, which means that the plan that he has, the decree that he's established, he established from eternity past. It will never change, and he will carry it out. Um, Yeah, and then we see that he's good. So whatever he does in his decrees, we can trust, even when it doesn't appear so to us, that he's doing good. Um, So uh, don't forget these things. Hold on to them uh, as we talk about the decrees. We want to remember these things about God as we talk about the things that he does. So to summarize all that up, I thought uh, a quote that was helpful. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says uh, that this God that we've just talked about, uh, his decrees are the things which he determined and ordained to do before he had done anything at all. So, So this is a God who's literally never not existed and what we're, the, the glorious topic that we're here to talk about today are the things that he decided to do before he did anything else. Okay, uh, before we, we dive into our, our first point here, are there any questions about any of that, God's attributes and how they, how they intersect with, with his decrees? Okay, so uh, our outline here uh, we, we have two major sections. Uh, first, we'll talk about God's eternal decrees in everything that happens in life. Um, and then we'll talk about God's decrees specifically in the salvation of his people. So the first section is broken down into to three points. We'll talk about how God uses human decisions to bring about his decrees. We'll talk about how he uses uh, good to bring about his decrees. We'll talk about how he uses difficult things and even evil to bring about his decrees. Um, and we'll talk about how his decrees uh, can give us comfort um, and, and how, how it uh, assures us that he has control over the future. So diving into that first point, um, let's consider together how, how God uses human decisions uh, to bring about his eternal goods. Uh, if someone could grab Genesis fifty twenty, Thanks, Jimmy. Um, and, and while he's doing that, uh, someone can also grab Exodus 4.21. Who can get that? Thanks, Joey. Um, and so while he's getting there, Jimmy, before you read that, uh, I want to give some background to I'll set the stage for the story of, of Joseph. So some of you will know it, uh, but he, Joseph was one among many brothers. He was his father's favorite. He was doted on, given a beautiful cloak uh, that his brothers were were tremendously jealous of, so jealous, in fact, that they um, plot to to put him in a hole, leave him for dead, um, and eventually decide that they could maybe profit off of uh, off of getting rid of their brother. And so uh, they they sell him into slavery instead. So he's taken into slavery in e- Egypt. He's in slavery. Eventually, ends up in prison. Um, and is, uh, yeah, Pharaoh finds out that he can interpret dreams, that Joseph can. And Pharaoh's been having dreams that that nobody can interpret. So he sends for Joseph. Long story short, Joseph interprets his dream correctly. Um, And then Joseph is given authority and power. Uh, He's second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. Um, And beyond that, Joseph's dream is used to save the entire nation from, from famine and starvation. So the yeah, the, the visions that Pharaoh was having um, foretold of, of famine that was going to, to come over Egypt. And so Joseph told him, save up grain for seven years, and then you'll be able to withstand the seven years of famine that are coming. Um, and so, it, yeah. So, Jimmy, if you want to go ahead and read Genesis fifty twenty. So this, Joseph says this to his brothers after they return. During the famine, they come back asking for grain uh, and are horrified to find <laughs> their brother uh, who they sold into slavery, uh, the very one who's in charge of whether they will receive grain or not. Um, and so they, they end up apologizing to him. And, and here we can see that Joseph, well, one, um, he recognizes God's sovereignty and how God is using both the good that has been done to him, the power that he's received, the salvation of the people in, in Egypt, um, or at least the, the lack of starvation for them. Uh, but he also sees how God used evil to accomplish those things. And he acknowledges God's sovereignty over, over both of those things. Um, yeah. Can, can you go ahead and read uh, Exodus 4.21? Yeah, so just as we saw in Joseph's story, we see similarly in the relationship between Moses and uh, Pharaoh uh, that here in this verse, we see that God uh, foretells uh, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So this verse, this, this happens in chapter 4. It's not until like verses 7 through 14 when we start to see the, the patterns of, of Pharaoh hardening his heart and then, and then God hardening his heart over and over again. So God said before it happened that it would, um, and always intended that it would happen the way that it did. Uh, yeah, it was always his intent that he would deliver people out of Egypt. Um, and so he, he uses Pharaoh to do that. Um, yeah, something I think just a sticking point to point out in, in that particular story is, is the distinction between Pharaoh hardening God's heart, I mean, Pharaoh hardening his own heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Um, and I think we're, we're meant to see that dynamic um, just to see that Pharaoh was not neutral he was the first five times that his heart is hardened, Pharaoh does it himself. And so he's, there's an element, again, of, of Pharaoh's responsibility there. And then, and then we see God's sovereignty and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Um, yeah, so um, that is, uh, that's point one. God uses human decisions, so we see him using Pharaoh, uh, Moses, Joseph, and Joseph's brothers. Um, point two, Is God eternally decrees Christians to do good works? Uh, Can I get someone to read Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 10? Who's got that? Thanks, Bill. That's right. So we are his works, worksmanship, created for good works. If you are a Christian, God determined in eternity past to use you for good. This, this is an encouraging verse, guys. Like if, if you're ever feeling low, you ever feel like you're, you're worthless, you, you can't do uh, good things, God, the same God that we just talked about, from eternity past, before you ever did anything, determined to use you for good. Um, so, yeah, we can see here in, in this verse that God also uses good and determines good uh, to bring about his, his decrees. And then, um, yeah, after, after point three here, I'll, I'll take questions, but uh, let's, let's go ahead and, and push through it. So, uh, point three, uh, God uses difficulties in life to bring about his eternal decrees. So I think uh, a helpful uh, narrative here from the Bible, if we think about the man born blind, it's clearly a difficult and perhaps even evil thing to be born blind. Um, the trials this man would have experienced uh, would have been difficult, especially in the, the period in time that he lived. Um, and so we hear in the story, his, Jesus' disciples ask him, Lord, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sin? No. Was it because of his parents' sin? no Jesus answer is it's because God intended to use this man to display his glory Um, and so this is a difficult thing this man lived lived a life blind um, and and God intended to use it for good so I think another helpful example of of God doing this is is found in Job Uh, could someone read Job 1 8 through 12 who's got that Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So there's a couple important things that we see here. Um, One is that God calls Job a a blameless and upright man. God calls Job a blameless and upright man. We also see that God, Satan is asking permission here, right? So God um, and Satan is the author of the evil that's done to Job later in the book. So God ordains it. He decrees it. He allows it to happen. He's not the author of it. Satan carries it out. Um, And I, I think Job is particularly helpful because in the stories of Joseph, in the stories of the blind man, both of them are able to see some ways in which their suffering was used for good, the reasons why they suffered. Job is never told why he suffers. And so I think yeah, Job is so uniquely helpful for that reason, because a lot of the times we don't see the reasons for our suffering. We have no idea why it's happening. Um, and this is why, again, rooting this conversation in God's goodness is so important, because um, we, through stories like Job's, can trust that God is good, even even when we're experiencing suffering. And so I think, yeah, Job would have never known that not, not years later... Not, not decades later, not generations later, millenniums later, we use Job's story to understand suffering. That's how God used Job's suffering for good, for our good. Um, but Job never saw that. And so I think it's helpful for us to understand that uh, our suffering, we won't, won't always see what God is doing, um, how God is doing good in it, but, but he is. Um, so I'll stop there for questions any questions about about what we've talked about so far yeah jimmy that's right. That's, yeah, that's one of the, the hopes that we have in, in eternity, right? Is that a lot of the suffering, well, all of the suffering that we experience is because of the fall because of Adam, Adam and Eve's sin. And so, um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Well, what we, some of the suffering we see doesn't have a direct, a direct cause other than we can trace it to sin generally. Uh, that's the whole, yeah, that's the point of the story of the man born blind is that it's not a result of his sin specifically. It's a result of, of the fall and sin generally. And we see, yeah, God is not, the fact that he ordains and decrees these things, um, he's not pleased by them. Uh, so we see, we see Jesus get angry at sin. We see him weep over it. Um, yeah, so it's a result of the fall. Um, yeah. Yes? So are you saying that God
3: ordains her, like, suffering, but he's not the author of suffering? Is that what you would
0: say? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sure. Um, Do you have a, what's your question specifically, just how those two things work together?
2: I guess just isn't he the
0: author of everything? Yeah, so God created everything, right? Uh, And evil exists. How do we reconcile those things, right? Is that kind of your question? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that gets back into, so again, we know um, kind of two things, evil exists, God is good; He's light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Um, we need to affirm those things because the Bible does. Uh, I want to be careful about trying trying to reconcile them in a way that, that might call either of those things into question. So, what I can say is, if we talk about, yeah, so if we if we get into the origin of evil, um, the there's just not the Bible doesn't give us a lot on that. We see some instances in in Job and Jude where it talks about. Um, yeah, heavenly beings that existed before the fall. We see definitely in Genesis, right, Satan uh, was, was tempting Adam with evil before humans ever fell. Uh, but we just, it's, it's one of those things we don't, don't get a ton of insight into. Um, so yeah, I, I guess the, the short answer to your question is uh, we know that God is not the author of evil because he says he's not. Um, is that helpful? Yeah, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Um, God cannot be tempted by evil. He works all things for good for those who love him. Everything that he created, he declared very good in Genesis. So there's a ton of instances of, um, yeah, everything God does is consistent with goodness. Good question. Anything else? Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, like I said, God is God's angered by by sin and evil. Um, yeah. So, and I think we can find hope in the fact that like Genesis three talks about how God will crush the head of the serpent. Revelation twenty one talks about um, how there will be a day with no more crying and no more tears. Like, not only does God is he angered by it now, but he's going to he's going to get rid of it. Um, yeah, and I, I think I'd also just caution us to. Um, we tend to be very, um, it's good news that God is, is sovereign over, over evil and suffering. Like we, we tend to be very comfortable with the idea of, of God restraining evil. We want him to be sovereign in that way. Uh, we're typically much less comfortable with the idea of him allowing it. Um, but, yeah, if, if we don't trust that God allows evil, um, then we, we can't believe that he's able to restrain it. Um, so it, it's good news that God is, is sovereign over evil. Um, yeah, and I think most of us believe that. Like, we, we pray um, that God will deliver us from it because we believe that in his sovereignty, he can. Um, yeah, so I hope, I hope all of that's helpful. Any other questions? We'll, uh, we'll run through point four here. I'll stop again briefly, and then we'll get into the second section. So, yeah, again, one of the ways we can um, find comfort uh, is that through God's eternal decrees, he's in complete control of future things. Uh, so we've looked a little bit at, at what he does in the past. Um, now we'll, we'll look at the future. So can someone grab uh, Matthew ten 29? Who's got that? Thank you, Joey. And uh someone grab Proverbs twenty-one, one. Thank you. Uh you can read uh Matthew ten when you get there.
1: Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your
0: father? And Proverbs twenty-one? Yeah, so we see here that God um, controls the little things like a sparrow falling from the sky and the, the big things like the affections of a king's heart. So, so God's in control both at the macro level and the micro level. It's not just that God sets a decree and then all the little things work themselves out. He's, he's in control of all things. Job talks about how God's in control of snowstorms. Uh, there's also passages that talk about how he dresses the flowers, he's in control of flower petals. Um, so he, he is in control on both the macro and the micro level. Um, yeah, and so we should be comforted in two ways uh, in particular uh, it, by this. Uh, first, is that in this life, every difficulty is working itself out in God's eternal decrees, and somehow there is eternal purpose in it. And then second, We know that he will return, execute judgment over evil, give eternal life to his people, um, and and we'll be with him forever. Our fellowship with him will have no end. Um, Yeah, any more questions before we move on to the next section that that occur to anyone? Okay, so we're in section two now. Uh, This is God's eternal decrees and the salvation of his people. Um, so I'm going to cover uh, a lot of ground here. I will stop after. So I'll talk generally about this statement, um, and then I'll, I'll cover some kind of obvious questions that arise. Uh, I'll stop after that first question for, for, um, for questions from you all. So, so bear with me here. Uh, so the first point uh, that we'll talk about is God's eternal decrees are active in his saving of his people. Can someone get Genesis 12, uh, 1 through 3? Thank you. Someone get John six forty four. Thank you, Bill. And then Ephesians 1, 4 to 6. Thank you, Karen. And you can read Genesis 12 when you're there. Yeah. So, what's important for us to see here is that, um, yeah, we see clear language that demonstrates uh, that God is the one who initiates this relationship with Abram. He's He's active. Um, he He calls Abram to respond. Um, so, Jesus is very clear about this. Similarly, uh, in in John six forty four, can you go ahead and read that? Yeah, so this indicates, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, right? So I was listening to uh, Mercury taught this class the last time it was taught uh, one of our elders. And he used, uh, I thought, such a helpful illustration uh, talking about drawing water from a well. So if you think about somebody, a bucket at the bottom of a well that somebody's drawing up, the the bucket (laughs) isn't doing anything to get to the top of the well, right? There's somebody at the top drawing on the rope and if, if that person were to let go of the rope, the bucket can't keep itself where it's at. It's going to plunge back to the bottom. And so I think this language that Jesus uses of, of being drawn to the Father is, I think that's a helpful illustration to help us, help us understand that. Um, Ephesians 1, 4 to 6. Yeah, such a, a glorious verse. I wanna, I wanna dwell on this for a second um, and unpack it. So the first thing I think that should jump out at you here is that uh, God chose you, he chose us. If you are a Christian, he, he chose you. The, again, the same God that existed from eternity past chose you in eternity past, before you did anything. He chose you. If you ever question your value, that's where it's found. God valued you so highly that he sent his son to die on a cross, and he decided to do that before you did anything. Um, yeah, so he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And not only that, not only did he save us, but he chooses to make us, make us holy and blameless before him. Yeah, we're, he, he sanctifies us and glorifies us. Uh, and he predestined us for adoption, so we're made his children. That's how he thinks of us. Jesus is our brother. And so this is a verse that should jump out of you as we talk about, or a, a, a phrase that in this verse that should jump out of you as we talk about God's decrees. He says he does this according to the purpose of his will. So God did all of this because, because it pleased him. And he does it for his glory. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful verse. Um, so now I'll talk about, on the back of your handout... Uh, I'll address this this first question um, the the elephant in the room so so what about free will how do we think about that uh, could someone read 1 Corinthians 2:14 Joey thank you
1: the natural person is-
0: Yeah, so earlier we talked about Joseph's brothers and Pharaoh, how they, they make conscious decisions that they're held accountable for, right? But here we see that the natural person does not accept the things of God, that they're folly to him, that he's unable to understand. Um, yeah, so the Bible teaches that we're bound by our sinful natures in a way that renders us unable to make the decision that we need to make to be saved. How do we, how do we think about that? Well, there's there's some verses that are helpful uh, in helping us think about that. So uh, let's let's read a few of those and then uh, and we'll we'll talk about this together. So if someone could grab Romans nine six to thirteen, thank you, Maddie. Um, Ephesians two eight, thank you, Shannon, and John eight thirty one to thirty six. Who can get John 8? Thanks, Jimmy. Whenever you're ready with Romans 9, Yeah, so if you know the story, um, Abraham had multiple children, only one that was a child of the promise. Uh, And that's the point that's being made here, that being a descendant of Abraham didn't make you a child of the promise. It was God's election that did. And so we see uh, that God chooses his people. So it was Isaac, not Ishmael. It was Jacob, not Esau. Um, And and it even, yeah, we even read... um, but this was because of nothing that they had done that they were chosen before they were before they were born so ephesians 2:8 for grace you have been saved faith. and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god, gift of god not your own doing uh, here we see that scripture teaches that god gives us faith it's a gift and john 8:31 to 36 the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So when we talk about free will, we have to, we have to think about it, the, the whole counsel of Scripture, we have to think about the way that Scripture talks about it holistically. And here, there's a, there's a distinction between being a, a slave to, to sin and being a slave to righteousness, being freed by Jesus um, and and being being a slave to sin. Um, yeah, and so this is just a really helpful distinction to to see that um, even even the way we think about free will, we're we're either we're slaves to one thing or the other. The freest that we can be is to be in Christ; otherwise, we're we're slaves to sin. Okay. Happy to take questions about that. Yes. yeah if so, if I understand the question um so we're not talking about new covenant right old covenant, God had chosen a people, but there seemed to be people outside of that that covenant um, yeah i don't I'd have to get back to you on that I think I think generally what we want to take away from that passage is that God chooses his people um yeah and I think. I think certainly he has the, the authority to choose people outside of a, an ethnic group. That's, of course, what we see him do in the New Testament. How that works in the Old Testament, um, yeah, I don't have a great answer for But it goes both ways, right? If he chooses some who
2: are outside, but also, like, not all
0: those who are certain of flesh, Right. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, and so I, that's why I say I think what we want to take away from it is that he has the authority to choose who he wills. Um, cool. Uh, for election so yeah those trusting in his promises so and I think we see that point made a lot in, throughout scripture in the New Testament in particular where they're distinguishing between those who trust in God's promises and those who are children of Abraham um, those are two, two different things you look like you have more go ahead Bill I
3: think as a nation and individuals in that section talks about not all Israel is Israel so he's talking about individual election
0: not just so is yeah it was your question about whether God elects like a people or individuals is that mm-hmm. well I know that he elects well I know that he chose people
2: and elects individuals mm-hmm.
3: but it was about
2: why should we read this passage as applying to election Yep. I see. Yeah. Because there's
0: crossover. Yep. So, yeah, that I understand. Thanks, Bill. Uh, other questions? Shoot. Can you define free will? I can. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. So, the way we define free will is important. Um, yeah, so I think. I'll just, I'll monologue here for a second. You can tell me if it's helpful. So, free will, the way we generally talk about it, uh, is the ability to choose anything and do anything. We're not bound by a nature. We can do it so I can, I think, in some ways, the way we talk about free will indicates that I could fly if I wanted to, right? Like, there there aren't things that we're bound by. I think even God has a, a nature uh, which defines who he is, defines what he can do. Um, and so... Free will, um, I guess, confuses uh, whether or not we're bound by a nature, or at least the way we talk about it does. So this is why the, the slaves to sin, slaves to righteousness idea is so important because, yeah, when we're, when we're slaves to sin, we can't do what pleases God. It's not in our nature. And when, when, when we're regenerate, when we're saved... Uh, where God gives us a new nature. We're now able to, uh, to do things that please him. So I've, I've heard the illustration used um, of a, a, a lion. Uh, where, so let's pretend we put a, a slab of meat and a, a bowl of Cheerios out in the parking lot and then released a lion into the parking lot. What's the lion gonna go for? A slab of meat, 100% of the time. It's in his nature, right? will never choose the Cheerios, um, and so we, in our, our fallen nature, we will will always choose sin. We'll always choose sin, and God gives us the ability to not do that. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah. Yes. That's why do we sin, uh, do we sin I mean, why, after? Why, Um, why can we resist sin? Is it, was that your question? Yeah, yeah. I think the way. So, I think the way we are able to do. I think we've got to be careful about the way we define good. Uh, so, if we say that unbelievers can do good, I think good. Uh, so, um, can somebody get Galatians six, uh, six through ten. You can read it whenever you get there. Yeah, so this, this passage is helpful because it talks about, um, it says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so this, this passage, is, it's at the end of the letter, Paul's talking about um, doing good in the context of, of supporting his ministry, I think. Um, but what he points out is that it's, it's the object of, of our our actions, or our, our kindness, that determines whether they're good or not. So he's saying, he's saying good is defined by, good can only be, it has to be directed at God's glory. So a kind act that's not directed at God's glory, I don't think the Bible would define as, as good. So I think we can do kind things as unbelievers, but not, not for God's glory. Not, not, um, not out of affection for God, and so I, I don't think we would define that as goodness. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. More on that? Or questions in general about this topic? Yes? I'm just a little confused on that. Does that mean that based on how we read Scripture, that there wouldn't be such a thing as people? It depends on how you define it. Um so I think, as Christians, we want to reject free will defined as, um, particularly as it relates to salvation, as us not needing grace to respond to God. Um, so did, did you have a follow up on that?
2: No, I'm just repeating us not needing grace.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so said more simply, we want to affirm that we need God's grace to respond to him. So Ephesians 2 talks about how we are totally, we are spiritually dead. You think about Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, like I think that's an image of salvation. Um, so we're dead bones brought to life. So I think I've heard um, the analogy used, um, I'm full of them right now apparently. Uh, the, uh, so it, you think about, it talks about somebody drowning and how um, salvation is like them, them being pulled into the boat. Um, but I think a correction to that that I've heard is that we're not drowning. We're dead at the bottom of the ocean, and, and that's that's where we're saved from. So I, I hope that's helpful. It, yeah, I think it depends on the way we define free will. I think if we're defining it as we somehow um, do something in, in response to God, apart from grace, um, we, we would want to reject that. Yeah, yeah. But certainly, we make conscious decisions. I think we can affirm that. Um, yeah. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't deny that we make conscious decisions. Yeah, from scripture. Other questions? OK. We can, we'll, we'll open it up at the end again i um, got to find my place now. Okay, so there's a couple more uh, questions that, that uh, we want to answer that are, are common on this topic. Uh, one is, what about pride? So if we're chosen, uh, there's, there's danger in, in being prideful about that, right? So like, we're, we're Christians, we're the ones that were chosen, and other, other people weren't. Um, I think that results from an inaccurate understanding of our our brokenness, of the deadness that we just talked about. So we talked about Ephesians 2, 8. I'll read it again. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that last part, I think if we're tempted to be prideful in, in our having been chosen, or if we see Christians being prideful, that's something we should rebuke. The word says we, this is not something we, we should boast in. It's a gift that we've been given that we have not earned. Um, could someone grab Romans 3 uh, 10 through 11? Who's got that? Thank you, Joey. That's right. And again, so I think this is just a good correction to um, anyone who would be tempted to, to feel pride in election. Uh, we, yeah, no one is good. Not one. This is, it's a gift we've been given. So uh, another question that comes up commonly, this is point three, is uh, what, about, what about moral effort? So if, if God has decreed everything that ever happens, do I still have to try? Like, am I, should I strive against sin? Um, so if someone could grab Romans 6, 1 to 2, I think that'll help answer this question. And then James 2, 18. You got it, Shannon? Or did you have a question? I was going to go. OK. What shall we say then? are we to
3: continue in sin that grace man not by no means? How can we say, how can we die to sin
0: and still live in? And then go ahead and read James. Yeah. So, so Paul, who who advocated <laughs> uh, most of what we're talking about today, more strongly perhaps than anybody uh, in history, certainly strongest in, in scripture, says, "Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not." And and James goes so far as to say that our faith is is evidenced by, uh, yeah, by our works. Um, so. I think these are, these are helpful corrections to the, the idea that if, if everything is predetermined, we don't have to try. Uh, I think the scripture would, would say differently. And so then one more question is, what about, a, what about evangelism? If God's chosen all of his people from the beginning of time, what's the need in us evangelizing? How does it make a difference? right? Um, so one more verse. If somebody could grab Romans 10, 14 to 15. thank you Jimmy. how How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Romans 1 the very beginning uh Paul Paul talks about how uh, we are without excuse. Even if we haven't um, Yeah, regardless of the amount of revelation we receive, we see, we see God in nature, we see him in the conscience. Um, and so the, the common response to that is, well, what about, what about people who haven't heard the gospel? And here in Romans 10, Paul answers, go. If you're burdened by that, you should go. His answer is still the gospel. Um, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So the same man who so adamantly defended predestination in his letters clearly thought that evangelism was necessary. If Paul did, uh, we, we should too. Uh, he dedicated his life to it. Um, okay, any questions on any of those things? Shoot. Shoot. yeah it is it's hard uh, that's that 's why I bring up Romans one i think it's it's a helpful it points out that we're not i think we tend to think of ourselves as innocent um, for for not responding um, and I think Romans one points out that that's that 's not the case because of it 's because of the fall but we are we 're guilty we 're at enmity with God um, but yeah that I totally agree this is yeah and that's something that 's important to acknowledge like it's it's okay to be um, frustrated and confused about these things, to wrestle with them. Everybody does, and Christians have for hundreds of years. Um, but I, yeah, I think um, we'll get into in a second how there's also a lot of comfort to be found in, in, in these things. Other questions or, or comments, for that matter? OK. So I'll conclude with uh, all the ways that we can be encouraged in these things um, from from my perspective, and I'll I'll only uh, scratch the surface here. So even just walking back through the handout, as we think about the fact that God has, from all eternity, ordained everything that comes to pass, we see that he does this in human decisions. That includes our own decisions. That includes the decisions of people around us. We know that he's using all of these things for our good. We know he uses good things to carry out his purposes. And then when we're faced with evil and suffering, we know he uses those to carry out his purposes. He's in control of not only the things that have happened in the past that we, that we mourn or celebrate, but also we don't have to be anxious about the future because God's in control of that too. Um, and then as far as, it, as far as salvation goes, again, yeah, I think I've, I've elaborated on how He's chosen us. I think He's chosen us, and, and that's not going to change. Like, you're sealed by the Spirit. He will keep you until the end. Garrett talks all the time about how, um, I've heard him say several times recently, we're almost home, right? Um, and that's true, but it still feels really far away. And so it's, it's helpful to know that as we, as we journey towards eternity, like, we can't fall away. If you're in Christ, he's, he's chosen you and will keep you. Um, yeah, and again, I just think the value that can be found in, in the fact that he's chosen you is, is helpful. Like, our identity in Christ is, is found in that. It's not in something that we did or something that we can undo. It's, it's his choice that he made long ago. Um, yeah, and then I think as far as pride and moral effort and evangelism go, like, none of these things um, depend on us. We can't be prideful because it's a gift. Our moral effort, uh, even when we fail, depends on him. And evangelism depends on him. So I, I, I've often heard it said uh, we, should, <laughs> we should share the gospel as if it depend on us and pray knowing it depends on him. So we should still strive for these things, but uh, we, we don't have to um, rely on ourselves either. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord will secure us in that. Uh, any last things before I pray? Yes. I think the the difference is so an unbeliever, Karen, would would never even try to do that. There is no there is no never an impetus to to do things um, for God's glory. I see you intending to do those things all the time. Like so, sin is is fickle in the sense that I've heard it compared to like a drop of ink in a jar of water. That it it. It taints everything. So in some ways, we're always going to have, we're still, we used to be under an old nature, and we still, like some of that is still in us. We still feel it, um, and we're, that's what sanctification is, is like that old nature being rooted out of us, and the new one, us being fully formed into that. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll always feel, there will always be some selfishness. And I, even if you're doing something for the good of someone else entirely, completely unselfish, even that's not for the glory of God. And so, yeah, I think reaching perfection is not our aim. Um, I think if we're striving to, if we're striving to glorify God, um, that you should be encouraged by that and know that he's going to keep you until the end. All right, on that note, let's, uh, I'll, I'll close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for um, who you are, God, for your character, uh, for your attributes, that you are from everlasting to everlasting you are god um, and lord we uh, thank you that um, before the foundation of the world you established that you would do uh, all of these things god, that you chose us in christ before the foundation of the world lord i pray that we would um wrestle with these things, Lord, that that you would help us to understand them, that we'd understand that there are some things that we cannot know, that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts higher than our thoughts. But Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged by them, that we would know that we're sealed uh, by the Spirit,
1: uh, that you'll keep us until the last day. Father, we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.